Hello, friends, and welcome again to another episode of the Potluck Podcast. I am Jared Cornut, coming from Irving, Texas. And we've got uh, our local, uh, well, uh, maybe I should rather say our uh, non-local foreigner, uh, Mr. Matt Hensley, out there in New Mexico. I, I think that's part of the United States. We're not sure. Barely. And we have Alan Murray out on the coast in North Carolina. Guys, how are y'all doing this evening? I am doing well. Um, I am quite tired. This has been the busiest week I have had in a very, very long time. Uh, but glad to be recording with you guys and talking about some stuff going on in our life uh, and sort of in convention life. And I'm really excited about the Southern culture topic for today as well. Yeah, this has not been the busiest week of my life, but it has been the most hurry up and wait of my life. I wrapped up the uh, dissertation this week, or at least as far as I can get it at this point, it's now in the hands of my supervisors and uh, we'll defend this Friday uh, but it was a kind of a series of waiting on the editor and getting something back and then fixing that and then getting something else told to me I think one uh, d-men friend of mine said it was the dissertation cul-de-sac and so I would get it back from my editor fix everything that she said, and then send it to my professor. He would fix more things, and then I would try and fix some of those and send it back to the editor. And then she would send those back to me. I'd fix it. I'd send it back to my editor. He would do it again and again and again. And so I have ordered Dr. Matt Queen a box of, a giant box of red pens, just to make up for the extra work he has done on my paper. But I'm glad to be done. How are you doing, Jared? Great long week. Uh, glad it's over. Looking forward to being with God's people tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a long week. It was a hard week. Uh, but it is what it is, you know. Matt, are you coming to Fort Worth to defend or are you doing that via Zoom? So I can do either one. I may take the opportunity to take the car on a long trip since about as far as it's gone right now is Alamogordo. And uh, that's 40 miles there and 40 miles back. So that would be a nice little trip, um, nice little getaway. But we also have, at the end of the month, a 49-hour round trip that we'll be taking to Orlando and back. And so part of me wants to not be in a car at all until that moment. Uh, but uh, I do have the option to do Zoom, but but I would kind of like to go there because I'd have a chance to maybe see my dad. So I might take that opportunity to to go well, i don't know if you've seen these tiktoks to these people they they film uh you know their, their friends or their family getting their college acceptance or rejection letters and it's kind of funny when they get the rejected letters uh so i'd love to be at southwestern to film you coming out of the room to see oh yeah matt you passed or the the, the, the dejection of your face because you uh, did not pass your uh, defense. So. Yeah, I, I watch American Idol every once in a while, and I kind of feel like it's going to be a little bit like that, you know, where you either get that golden ticket or you walk out and you hate the entire universe. And so hopefully it's the uh, the former, but uh, I am pumped about it. It was a fun journey uh, going through the, uh, the program there, the Center for Church Revitalization. And uh, my dissertation is uh, longer than all of my books that I've written put together. Uh, but that's really so about easy 20 pages. To do. <laughs> so, so that's really easy to do. But it's on a pastor-led, member-fulfilled, disciple-making strategy for a rural church, and so I'm pretty pumped about that. And uh, I joked with Dr. Queen that I've already published it on Amazon, and he said, "You better not have." And I was like, "No, I didn't." Uh, so, 
I've been well, excited for you getting your JV doctorate. And, uh, you know, I worked with, uh, I worked on staff at a church and, uh, one brother had, uh, an EDD and one brother had a PhD and he'd always joke and he would say to him, Robert, when are you going to get your real doctorate? So you can be a real doctor. Uh, those are two great guys, Chris and Robert Hefner, uh, who pastor out in North Carolina. Alan knows them both very well, but we're not here to talk about almost Dr. Matt Hensley or any of those types of things. We're here to talk about uh, stuff going on in Baptist life, and there's a lot of that going on here in Texas in particular. We had, well, rather, the mass mandate is being revoked in the state, and so no longer uh, will there be a statewide mask mandate. Now, uh, churches and businesses can continue to require masks or not require them. Uh, let me tell you guys what we've decided to do at Plymouth Park. Uh, I consulted with an infectious disease doctor at UT Southwestern, a very big hospital here in Dallas, very uh, well-known hospital. And what he told me was, is that if members have received both doses of the vaccine and they are comfortable, they can remove their masks though he would also encourage them to continue to wear them, though. But they, they could. He does not think they can most likely receive the virus because it's got 95% uh, you know, uh, chance of, of fighting it off. But he doesn't believe they're able to spread it with the vaccine. And then he said those who have not got both doses need to continue to wear their masks. And that's what we're going to do at Plymouth Park. We're going to tell everybody we encourage you to continue to wear them. If you have both doses, you can take it off. Uh, but if you haven't, you need to continue to wear a mask. Uh, I've seen a lot of churches are doing that. Some churches are setting up here in Texas uh, um, like non-mask zones. And so they got like, this area cornered off where hey, if you don't want to wear your mask, it's like the smoking section at a restaurant. <laughs> uh, some of our listeners may not remember that. I remember that when you go to a restaurant, they would say smoking or non-smoking. Uh, so some churches are doing that. Uh, some churches are saying it's completely optional altogether. Well, that's being in Dallas and uh, it's still kind of being a hotbed. We're not out of it yet, so we're trying to make some wise decisions. But my phone's been blowing up all weekend. Pastor, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? I'm thinking, uh, I think we're just going to go online only for the next month. Uh, just to, So that way I don't have to deal with the math. But no, that's, that's what we're doing. Have you guys, have your states, I know uh, out there in New Mexico, you are a little bit more liberal than we are here in Texas. So I don't think you have an option. In North Carolina, I don't know what the mandate is, what the plan is. Have you even thought through that, Alan? I have not heard anything remotely close uh, to removing that mandate. Um, we've been in phase 3.14 repeating uh, for the longest time with our governor that we reelected. So I don't know when that's going to happen. But I do know that things are, are lightening up a little bit. The, the numbers are on the downward trend. Um, I was able to go last week and make a hospital visit. Uh, that was the first visit at our major regional hospital that I've made in a year. I uh, haven't been able to do that. I made one in the summer uh, at an orthopedic hospital where I'm pretty sure the church member told them that I was family. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I went to hospice uh, on Monday of this week as well. And so some of the uh, regulations are lifting. Um, and if you're listening to this and you're a pastor, don't think, well, Alan got to go to the hospital, so I'm going to go see my church people. Make sure your hospital knows um, or you know what your hospital says and their regulations, because there are different floors on our hospital that don't allow visitors, uh, some of which are only allowing one family member and then some allowing up to four visitors per day. Um, it, it just totally depends on, on the hospital and the floor and where those people are. But I don't know, we'll probably be wearing them for a while. Um, I'm still going to keep wearing mine. 
uh, you know, I know a lot of folks that are saying, well, I'm, I'm ready to get them off. They don't work. Uh, I'm just convinced it can't hurt. Uh, and I got my first round of the vaccine this week as well on Wednesday morning. Uh, and so I have my appointment 28 days later because I had Moderna uh, to get my second vaccine. So I'll still cover up my ugly face with a mask uh, for a little while longer, at least. You'll get that uh, horrible side effect then, most likely. Uh, a lot of people I know who've had the Moderna, the second shot is uh, fever and a little bit things like that. Should, should go on the Pfizer. I can't wait. So I didn't have a choice. They just stuck me in the arm with what they had. Um, the first shot actually gave me some side effects. Um, I slept terrible that night. Every time I moved, it just, it hurt. Um, I, I'm not trying to be a pansy about this. It just hurt. Yeah. Uh, the next day I had a giant knot. It was like a golf ball size knot in my arm. And I even had a low grade fever with the first shot. So I cannot wait for that second shot. It's going to be so much fun. I can't yeah, wait. So what was it like uh, sleeping with COVID? I said, I slept like a baby. I woke up every three hours and cried. Matt, what about there in New Mexico? What about for you guys? We will never be maskless, I think, until the return of Jesus Christ. And uh, no, we it's still pretty locked down. Um, we have a red, yellow, and green tier system that was recently added to it, a turquoise uh, level. And the green, which it initially was the top tier, uh, it means low transmission rate, low all of the different things, meeting all of the great uh, gating criteria that they call. And I think it still put churches and certain things at like 50%. It still wasn't wide open. And, but the turquoise level is a little bit closer, but still is pretty locked down. Uh, Otero County, because not a whole lot of people are testing, uh, we still have a relatively high uh, transmission rate. So we're still in the red. So everything is still shut down. We're one of the few uh, counties that are still shut down for that. But, uh, We'll, we'll kind of see what happens from here. I know there's a big push for people to start getting uh, tested, whether or not they feel sick or anything like that, to maybe, you know, bring bring those numbers down. You know, those are rookie numbers. We need to get them. <laughs> so we, uh, but yeah, the, the masks are still a thing here. It's still, quote unquote, the law or whatever. In Southern New Mexico, nothing's really being enforced about that. Northern New Mexico, you might get a fine, that kind of deal. Uh, so anyway, that's still the, the life here you know I'm not, I'm not a scientist i was at my church i preached the sunday uh that i found out i had covid i did not know i had it when i went to church but i wore a mask and was socially distanced and nobody else got covid and we've had three or four other people at our church who have been at church with covid unknowingly and we have not had a breakout in our church you know we've had several people at our church get it but not from at the church and so it's anecdotal, but to me, like Alan said, it doesn't hurt, right? Yeah. And, and I love what one pastor said. I don't even remember who it was. I saw it early on in this thing uh, where I think the, he saw, I, I guess they had an online service and somebody saw that there was people in masks and they were griping about it. Some random person that saw, saw the service. And he just commented, said, if I have to wear a unicorn hat and it would make one person comfortable, I'm going to do it. And, uh, and I, I like that. That mentality, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to hurt, uh, and it may give a few of your people a peace of mind. Some are ambivalent about it, but uh, for for the most part, you've got some kind of on the fences that would be like, yeah, that that gives me a little layer of security, and uh, so maybe I should do it. But but exciting for y'all because y'all can now businesses are open, y'all can go in to eat, all of that kind of stuff. We 
we still are stuck on the porch at the Mayhill Cafe, which in the morning can be very cold. Uh, so, so yeah, a little oh, bit. Let nuts. me tell you, uh, I drove through downtown Grapevine, Texas today, not a mask in sight. We went to Bucky's the other night, not a mask in sight in that place either. So uh, Texans are definitely ready. I think we're going to order the, uh, have you seen people get the mask of their face? From the nose, so it doesn't look like they're wearing a mask, but they are. We're going to order that for everybody who doesn't want one, so we can be like Paul, all things for all people. You yeah. can look like you're not wearing a mask, but you're still wearing one, protecting people. Uh, but I digress. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens here in Texas. Hopefully, none of their spiking cases. Well, guys, I had a what, what made my week really tough this uh, week in particular was I had to preach a funeral on Thursday. And uh, you guys, we'll talk a little bit about funeral prep here and what you guys do to prepare for funerals. Uh, but this was a particularly hard funeral for me because I had to preach for a 25-year-old who was murdered uh, in McKinney, Texas, uh, last week who has ties to our church. And I didn't really know the family well. And so I had to deal with uh, a young man that I did not know um, and I didn't know about his relationship with Christ um, and deal with his family and counseling there and also, you know, preach in a pretty horrific situation to a crowd of about 300. Um, have you guys, what's maybe the hardest funeral you've ever had to prepare for that you feel comfortable sharing? I mean, I know some of the details you really can't share out of respect to the family. And then maybe share with our listeners, we got some half pastors, AKA youth pastors on here and guys who are preparing for ministry, who've never done a funeral before, who might be curious, what do you do to prep for a funeral? Well, we had the absolute toughest one uh, towards the start of the pandemic last year. And then again, uh, around the same time this year. Both of them were exceedingly close to to me, uh, to our family, longtime members of the church, well-known, well-loved, uh, loved Jesus. And, and so it was a sweet time, but it was really hard to get through the funeral itself because of how close I was to both of them. And so that made it difficult. Uh, and, and it's kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum of you, where you might not have known them very well, or maybe their faith or some of that kind of stuff. But uh, And so that has a certain type of difficulty. This side was very difficult. Uh, for for me, as a, as a text-driven preacher, expositor, I'm still going to preach a, a sermon. And since it's not a part of a Sunday morning or whatever, obviously there's some wiggle room about what text might be. And so a lot of times, one of the first things I'll do is I'll just visit with the family and find out either what was that person's favorite passage of scripture or maybe that family's. What, what are y'all reading right now that's giving you a lot of comfort? And sometimes they have a suggestion. Other times they don't. And But the times that they do, I usually try and you know consider that text and, and study that up and, and see if that's a text that we could use for a sermon and just highlight the hope that we have in the gospel, particularly with saved people. And, and obviously the hope that we have in the gospel for unsaved people too, to call them to repentance and all of that. And so it's a great opportunity when people are grieving and hurting and, and those that are maybe coming uh, that may not know Jesus, obviously you want to give a clear gospel presentation. And so the first thing that I try to do is find out what's that passage that either was just like the, the life verse, so to speak, for, for that gentleman or the gentlewoman, what, what do they love? What's maybe ministering to the family? And consider that text. Find out a few stories about maybe their conversion experience. If I don't know it, um, that's always an encouraging point. Maybe somebody that 
we know that they led to the Lord, um, either a family member that would be there and, and get to tell those stories, because that's going to allow you to connect to the family members, too. Uh, when you were talking to me about the the funeral, I mentioned another, another book that has been helpful uh, for a number of pastors that I know. When you just get to that point where maybe you don't know the person at all, you you're just you're you're at your wits end. You're you're worrying about Sundays coming and the kids are going nuts or your baby's teething or something like that. It's a great little toolbox for you, and it's shepherding in the shadow of death. And it was written by. Mark Dance, or really compiled by Mark Dance, I believe with his pastor in some sermons over the years that they wrote. And it's a real good kind of toolbox, at the very least, just to prime the pump, like reading maybe the text or or maybe an outline, and then just running with it. Because sometimes, you know, funerals don't happen uh, very conveniently. <laughs> you know, people die all the time. It's not always going to happen at a very convenient time. At the first of this year, uh, we lost several people, and uh, so they they don't happen uh, when we're just free and have nothing to do. And so sometimes it helps to have a few things in the uh, the the toolbox to pull from. And I keep all of my old sermons, and so sometimes I'll have somebody will request Psalm 23. Uh, I've preached that a few different times, a few different ways, and can kind of pull from some of those to to lighten the load if somebody asks for that in a particularly busy week. Uh, but that that would be my encouragement. Find find what they are reading and, and being comforted by, or maybe the favorite passage of the person that passed away, and use that as kind of a sermon starter for you. And uh, and then find some stories about that family that you can tie in there. And then beyond that, the other thing I would say is your sermon. Obviously, you want to get the gospel out, get it clear, call people to respond, all of that kind of stuff. But your most important thing is not going to be that sermon. It's not going to be how smoothly that funeral runs. It's going to be your presence with that family from the beginning of that process all the way to and through the end. And uh, one thing that has been an encouragement for for me and for my people is marking down when somebody passes away, particularly if they still have family left behind in a year later or maybe around a Valentine's Day or Christmas or something like that, just sending a note and saying, you know, hey, thinking about you today, that kind of deal. and. Uh, be, because you you don't stop grieving on that day that you have the the funeral. And so Valentine's rolls around and their sweetheart is gone. That's usually a hard time. Uh, an anniversary, uh, that's a hard time. A Christmas, Thanksgiving, that's usually a hard time. And obviously the anniversary of the actual death. And so that's just another little thing that that I learned years ago and has, has been an encouragement to the people that I've served. So that would be my two cents. Yeah, this week, part of the business has been that I've done two funerals. Uh, I preached one today, and I preached one yesterday, so two days in a row. Uh, the funeral I did yesterday on Friday was somebody that I did not know, that I had never met, I had never seen them, uh, but had some connections to their family, family living in the community, burial being in the community, so they reached out to me. Um, and I always take advantage of those opportunities if I can, Um because it gives me an opportunity to share the gospel with people. Um, I have found that whether I'm doing the funeral of somebody that I know or somebody that I don't know, I always tell families I have three things that I want to accomplish in the funeral. I first and foremost want to honor the Lord. Uh, secondly, I want to honor the deceased. And third, I want to honor them as a family. And so I'll uh, go in and try to find out some information about that person, especially if I don't know them. If I do know them, of course, there's some things I already know, but ask 
family, what would you, what do you want people to know about them? Uh, sometimes somebody else does a eulogy, but I have found at a lot of funerals, they expect the pastor to eulogize the person as well as preach a funeral message. And so I, I always want to articulate the gospel. Uh, if I'm not able to preach to Jesus and the hope of the resurrection at a funeral, I'm probably not going to do that funeral. Um, and so I always take advantage of that. And, and like yesterday, uh, I took what I learned from the family, shared about that person. Um, if I have anything in common with them, I usually try to tie that in. Um, and, and yesterday I said, there's, there's something else that I have in common with this person besides our love for this section of rural North Carolina, um, is that one day I'm going to be where he is and that's dead. And all of us are going to be there and given an opportunity to say, I know how to face death. Um, and I had to run towards death headlong because Jesus has done that for me. And so I always trying to share the gospel. You mentioned, um, you know, the hardest funeral you've ever done, uh, without a shadow of a doubt in my mind. Uh, it was another situation where I did not know the person. I was pastoring in Western North Carolina at the time, and I got a phone call from someone uh, for a fellow who um, committed suicide in front of his wife in San Diego, California. Uh, and because his family had been buried in our cemetery, they asked if he could be buried in our cemetery as well, but he had no pastor or church connections. And so... Uh, I was faced with doing uh, a, a funeral for a suicide, which is difficult in and of itself. But then for somebody I didn't know from Adam, I didn't meet the family until about 10 minutes before the service. Um, it was it was very difficult. I, I talked to them on the phone a little bit. Uh, but again, one of those situations, you try to honor the person who's died as best you can, uh, but also give everybody there the hope that can come from the gospel. Uh, I, I tell our folks all the time when we pray for people who have lost loved ones that um, we pray for the opportunity, whether it's ourselves or somebody else has the, the chance to share the gospel with somebody in those moments, because the the bleak reality of death is literally before their eyes. Uh, and, and God can use that in a tremendous way. And so uh, my, my biggest thing is, you know, honor the family, honor the deceased, and first and foremost, honor the Lord at a funeral. One one other thing that came up since you mentioned the eulogy, uh, I love it when a family member does it because they know how to pronounce all the names. And so a pro tip would be ask them how to pronounce every name on that list and perhaps even right above it how you pronounce it and practice it. Because I did one a few weeks ago now for a uh, really a family that didn't hasn't joined the church but has, has been coming and, and being a part of the church for a little while. Their mom passed away, uh, was saved, but for health reasons, hadn't been able to, to come to church. I didn't really know them, uh, but they were from a Italian background, and all of the names, like the very front end of all the grandkids and so forth, I got through those, and then the further I got, I, I came to some of those names, and I was like, I have no idea how to say this, and so in my head, I'm like, I'm trying to sound it out, and and, and I pulled it off, barely, and, and I got some smiles from some people that I think, yeah, I missed that one. But but yeah, just take a moment if you're if you are going to read it, and it's not just Bubba. Take a moment to at least ask everybody that that you you can, whether it's that family member, or somebody that may know them, and make sure that you know how to pronounce each name on the eulogy. Because otherwise, you just you know it's it's just a distraction. It's not a huge deal, but it's an easy way to make sure in in kind of going the extra mile for them. Amen to that. Because I have eulogized and 
there were some hard names, and I just tried to make it through it. And uh, talked to the family afterwards and apologized for it. But, yeah, I think that's that's right. You know, I, I meet with every family, kind of like you talked about, Alan, and I said, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, the gospel is going to be presented or I'm not going to do it. Uh, whether that person was a Christian or not, we're going to present the gospel for those who were there. Um, and he said, I told the family, if I don't know the person or don't know their salvation, I'll usually preach something along the lines. This is what they would want you to know today uh, now that they're gone and, and share with them the gospel and how you believe in the gospel. A lot of times if it's somebody that I know well, I'm connected to, I maybe read and <clears throat> preach from a passage that was special to them, like Matt was talking about and, and highlight some aspects of their life. Uh, you know, the hardest funeral I ever had to preach uh, was probably my grandmother's because I was very dear and close to her. And I, I heard in seminary, probably like you guys have, you never preach anyone into heaven. And I remember I wrote in my sermon, uh, you are not, we're not supposed to preach anyone into heaven, but thankfully Bonnie Warren's life demonstrated where she is today. And so it's always helpful if you're able to uh, highlight that person's life, their service to Christ, and even ask the people in the room, uh, to be encouraged and challenged by the life that they live because of the Savior that they had. And are you, do you have that same Savior? And are you living in light of that? Uh, this funeral that I preached this past week, I, I believe probably most people I stood in front of did not know Christ, but it is what it is. All right, we're going to move on to the uh, next topic here, uh, which is uh, the least favorite mascot of Alan Murray, but probably one of his favorite uh animals to eat that are carnivores that live in lakes alan take it away well i'm definitely not a fan of the florida gators um and i'm not sure that that alligators are my favorite carnivores to eat uh that live in lakes um probably there's a few fish that i'd rather eat over an alligator but uh yes we're talking about alligators tonight this is uh something that i've seen this week with my own eyes we uh, we're at the North Carolina Aquarium at Fort Fisher for my daughter's birthday on Monday. and They have an albino alligator there. And I'll be honest, I've seen alligators my entire life, uh, not in captivity, but in the wild uh, to the point where, like, I looked at the alligator and was like, oh, that's cool, and just kept on moving. Uh, it's been such a part of my life here in southeastern North Carolina. Um, fun fact about me, and it can be you too if you want to go sometime, I have seen the furthest north wild alligators in the world. Uh, there are two of them, and they live at Merchant's Mill Pond State Park, uh, which is just south of the Virginia line. And so uh, once you get into Virginia, there are no alligators. But we got them in North Carolina. Uh, you guys have them in Texas, and I doubt there are any in New Mexico. Uh, but Alligators are a big part of life in the South, particularly um, for some of our coastal states. Although uh, I think I understand that there there may be even some in Oklahoma, but I'm not. I don't know, Oklahoma's probably not the South, but uh, alligators are fun uh, to look at for a lot of people. I find them to be a nuisance more than anything else. My wife would uh, be so disappointed if I didn't share a story. Her family lives along the Lockwood Folly River. Uh, here in southeastern North Carolina and her grandfather has cows and pasture right along the river and one time a alligator came up and ate one of his cows attacked it drug it into the river and like piled it up under some logs so it would decompose some so it could eat it a little bit easier 
so alligators are a large nuisance. Uh, somebody loves to fish, uh, they can be very aggravating. But uh, as I'll let you, Jared Cornett, talk about, they also can be uh, quite delightful to eat as uh, in the culinary realm. Uh, real quick, uh, listeners, Battle at Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R. Google it. Watch it on YouTube. Alligator pulls antelope or lion tackles antelope into uh, lake. Alligator attacks lion and plays tug of war over the antelope. Antelope gets free. Lion attacks it again, and wildebeest come and attack. It's the most incredible thing ever. Just watch it. Uh, alligators are delicious. I've never prepared them myself. I like them. I like them fried. They taste like chicken, a little chewy sometimes, but they taste really good. Uh, Matt, have you ever had alligator before? I have, and uh, I was really surprised that on one of the Southern topics as a Texan that usually struggles to ever answer these correctly, I have had it, and it is delicious, And but right now, it's not something I will probably be able to grab, aside from one thing, and that is the gloves that I've told you about, the 44 uh, Pro baseball gloves that I am addicted to customizing online. They now have a gator leather and uh, I am trying so desperately to come up with a baseball glove that can feature that. And, uh, but yeah, it is delicious. Not something I eat regularly, but yeah, I'm for it. I waited on this. The most interesting alligator I've ever seen was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, we, we came across a lake of albino alligators, completely white skin. Uh, very, very interesting. Red eyes. They look like something out of a horror movie. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Alan, anything else on alligators before we bring this into a close? Um, I, I don't advise swimming with alligators, but I meet people often that are absolutely terrified of alligators when I've had them out on the boat where there are places that are alligators. Um, I just like to say, most of the time, I, I've I've never had an instance with an alligator. I've been in canoes around alligators. I've been in kayaks around alligators. I've been in boats around alligators. They're curious. They're a little bit of a nuisance, but I've never had an issue with them. Um, just don't go swimming with them. Uh, I don't advise that. That might not work out too good for you. Keep your distance. Observe them. Enjoy them, especially deep fried. Yes, deep fried gator. Great to have. Well, friends, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Potluck Podcast. Maybe at your next potluck, you'll get lucky and somebody will bring some gator. Uh, but until next time, join us then. Same Baptist time, same Baptist hour. Stay Baptist, my friend.